Thanks for listening to the Imago Day podcast. If you live in the Portland area, we'd love to invite you into the life of our community. You can find out what's going on at idcpdx.com slash events or on social media at Imago Day PDX. Good morning, Imago. It is good to be with you today. Um, I am wrapping up the series Forged by Grace. And basically what I wanted to do was look back kind of over the last 23 plus years and think about the themes, the ways of God and the being of God and the theology that has really shaped us. And so we've looked at, at so many themes that have made us who we are because of who God is. And today I want to kind of go back to a passage that we started with 24 years ago. Uh, it was one of the first passages I preached on, and it was completely aspirational, um, meaning we didn't have any kind of sense that this was possible, but we had a little group of about 15 to 20 people uh, who are willing to listen to me. Uh, and that's really all we had. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Isaiah 61. It's a passage that has shaped us as kind of the picture of when Jesus comes to town, what does he do? And as Jesus' people, what should we be and be about as we participate with him? And Isaiah 61 says this in the first four verses. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me for he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. In Luke's gospel, after Jesus is uh, baptized and the Spirit of God comes on him after he is tempted in the wilderness, the first thing he does in his ministry is go into the synagogue and open the scroll to Isaiah 61. And it, there was, it wasn't a book, there wasn't verses, it was just a huge scroll of words. And he opened, boom, he was right there. I mean, he probably had his own little mental... Uh, organizational way for verses, but he just opened it. He reads these words and says, today this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, what he's saying is the, the one that Isaiah spoke about that we were anticipating to come and to release us and to heal us and to comfort us and to transform us is here and Jesus was saying I am this one so if you want to know what my job description is go back to Isaiah 61 and you will see me doing these things 
And the church was so excited to hear this that they took him out and tried to kill him. Right? They were like, no thanks. 24 years ago, we read this passage together as a community. And, and in our minds, I think we, we were like, yeah, that's what we want to be about. And over the next six months or so, during the core phase, where it's just a handful of us, what I realized is that we love to talk about this. We love to study it. We love to think about how good God was. But what we didn't want to do was to do this. We didn't want to join Jesus in these places. And as just an amazing leader, I had no idea what to do because I, had, I, I was like, I'm not an amazing leader. All I know is everything I read about church are books about how to. But we don't have a how-to problem. We have a want-to problem. And the want-to problem can't be fixed by a leader. It can only be fixed by getting before the face of God. That's why it starts with the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Right? It is the Spirit's role to transform us. And so I, I looked out at this wonderful group of 20 people and I said, we are going to repent every week until we change or disappear. Um, and I, it wasn't a good way to plan a church. I don't recommend it. When we went into the first prayer meeting, the thing about these young, real people is they were so authentic, way too authentic for me. Like their prayers were, God, I don't know if I believe in you. God, I hate my neighbor. God, and I was just listening to this go around the room of just rants to God. And I remember driving home just being like, well... I tried to plant a church, you know. It's, it's probably it, but, you know, we gave it a swing. And we met in this little room at Evangel Baptist, which is now uh, Portland Foursquare. So many things have happened. But for nine months, we met and we prayed. And I would write out the list of every need I could think of in Portland and so we weren't going to pray for, you know, anybody's health or needs. We were going to pray about these issues. And over time, something transformed. And it wasn't, it wasn't that we learned so much. I think the first transformation is we realized that, that we aren't the ones going out to find these people, but these people are us. That we are the poor in spirit we are the brokenhearted we are those who are captive and addicted and uh, imprisoned we are the ones who mourn we need desperately this Jesus as much as anybody needs this Jesus right and there is no us and them it is only Jesus and the world right and as that transformation, we started meeting the Savior who 
was the comforter, the healer, the releaser. He also changed that want to. And it was like 19-year-old kids, Heather Thomas and Joe Barker and Missy Barker and Kendra Pickens and um, people who just had this want to and they didn't know what to do with it. A couple of them went prayer walking and found an apartment complex and they said, we'll give two years of our lives just to love these people. And it turned out to be Letty Owens, which was an addiction recovery program where women could keep their children with them. And so they jumped in and started serving and they learned so much. They, they learned that they had no idea how to relate to people that they didn't know or weren't like them. And so they went to school and those wonderful women changed them and us. And within about a year, we had literal minivans picking up women and bringing them to church because when they got their second pass, they wanted to come to church. The first pass was for, you know, specific other. But, but God got number two, which was pretty dang good. We baptized a number of those women over the years, and it was all because these two young ladies decided to pray and walk and obey. Joe Barker started serving homeless people on Saturdays uh, because there weren't any services, so he started three o'clock people. He started cooking with a camp stove. He was about... 20 years old, I don't know if the food was great. Um, we learned that it is illegal to go out and just start feeding people with, and cooking. You need like food handlers permits and things like that, but uh, we figured it out after a while. But he went from five people showing up to 10 people showing up to 100 people showing up, feeding them. And that ministry went on for years and years and passed on to different people. And the point is that the only way that this transformation happens in the world is if this transformation happens in us. And that can only happen not through a class, not through information, but for us to get before the face of Jesus to allow the Holy Spirit to change us, to, to confront us, to invite us to be set free. And that season of repentance, that early transformation, is like, I, I always talked about church planting as like gardening, and you plant seeds and you water, but when you plant a garden, you don't know if anything's happening, right? You just, it's dirt. And you're like, well, I hope miracle is taking place underneath the ground, but right now it's just dirt. That's what church planning felt like to me. I just yelled at dirt every, every week, and then the miracle happened, right? Jesus was at work underneath the surface of our hearts changing us. And that so much changed over the years, but what hasn't changed and what I hope never changes for us is that the surrendering to the Spirit is your only hope. 
I hope that you never find another hope for your transformation than surrendering to Jesus. And when you're lost and when you don't know how, when you feel bound up, when you feel captive, this beautiful thing happens when you fall before the face of the Spirit-anointed Savior. It's that not only does he meet you and break your chains, but he then makes you someone who joins him as he goes out and breaks the chains of others. There has been no greater joy in my life than to journey with so many of you, courageous people who were willing to let Jesus into the scary places in your life, to the impoverished places, to the places where your heart was so broken and fragile, to the places where you were bound up or those deep seasons of mourning, and to follow Jesus into your own life and trust him to make you an oak of righteousness. Trust him to take you from a place that is so fragile and unstable to someone who has deep roots in Christ, whose life begins to strengthen in some ways and becomes that planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And brothers and sisters, the reason that we have this table here every week is because we ultimately believe that spiritual transformation only happens when we get face to face with God. And our job is to pull back the curtain through words and songs and sermons on the real God and to pull back the curtain on our heart for the real us and then get out of the way so that you can bring the real you before the real God. And when that happens, it changes everything, right? It changes everything. We are the needy, the hungry, the poor, and we're sent to the world simply to show them the source of our healing, our sustenance, our riches, to show them Jesus who is already among them. But the invitation is to follow. If you want to meet Jesus, you have to go to the places that Jesus is and to the people that Jesus is seeking among the marginalized of our society. And that exists within us and outside in the city. The poor, the brokenhearted, the imprisoned, the captive, all who mourn, and we join them in solidarity in our great need for a Savior to come, to heal, to set free, but we join them as one who is pointing them, right, to the God that they desperately long for. And over the years, being able to see that Jesus isn't just sitting in churches on Sundays, but when you meet him in the streets with people, the way he works with people. I remember talking to a young woman one time that was uh, struggling with heroin addiction and yet knew the Lord deeply. And I said, how did you meet the Lord? And she was talking about her other friend who was heroin addicted 
who was experiencing Christ meeting him in the middle of the night and she was telling and he was telling her about this Jesus and she came to faith and you're like well right like yes Jesus is already there the sad thing is his people don't always want to join him we're waiting for Jesus to clean up the world and make it shiny and bring it into church, and then they can be part of our system. But that's not our system. Our system is we are them, and Jesus is the hero of the story. I love the words of this passage because they're so powerful to proclaim the good news, to bind up, to proclaim freedom and release, to provide comfort, to point them to the one who crowns with beauty, who crowns with joy, who crowns with praise. One of the, one of the most humbling things to me is as someone who is so desperate, like I desperately have needed Jesus to do and continue to do all of these things in my life, but that he also gives us the ability to participate with him in helping other people get set free. Do you know what I'm saying? Like he takes these things in your life that you look at and think, man, that was all just wasted years and wasted life and wasted energy. He takes the darkest, most shameful things that we've done and thought and been, and he takes them, and not only does he forgive them, but then he does this judo move on them, and he takes that weakness, and he turns it into a strength through which by he brings other people into the kingdom. And, and, and so, brothers and sisters, if you're sitting there today and you say, well, Jesus could never use me because I'm too bound up, I'm too captive, I'm too mourning, I'm too sad, I'm too this, man, you are in for a ride. Because it's that very place that is going to be the source of your ministry to other people. Amen? How many of you have experienced that in your life? Yeah, yeah, amen. And so for 24 years, we've had this joy of partnering with Jesus out of those places that are our weakest and most broken and watching him do this, this literally bringing heaven to earth in moments, in pockets, in mustard seeds. And it has been the greatest privilege of my life to be a witness, right, to you living into that story. Jesus planted you here to display his splendor, this, this picture of oaks of righteousness. It's really interesting because I think when we think about oaks of righteousness, if you were to ever call yourself that, you'd be like, that's pretty hypocritical, man. I am not an oak of righteousness. But when I look out at you, that's what I see. Like I see a church that has been through hell and back, who, is, who has gone from really fragile moments 
to being a durable, resilient, like post-pandemic, post-political, post-social justice, racial justice community that's still kicking, right? And we're still here. That, that we have gone from fragile to durable, from, from fractional to resilient, and there's been so many seasons, but when I think of the last, like, eight years, especially the last three, I, I, I see God's splendor. I remember there was this one morning when everybody was starting to come back, right? We were starting to have in-person services again. And quite honestly, like, why would you ever go back to church? I mean, the average Portlander is like, why would I ever go back to church? It's on TV. Like, it's awesome. And yet, the people that were showing up, we did, I remember Michelle Jones was doing a morning prayer series in, before church in the prayer space back here. And I walked in and it was packed with 30 or so people just desperately needing Jesus, right? People who were hungry, people who were in touch with their need. And I, I looked at that room and I was like, this is what Jesus meant when he said, I'm going to throw this party and if they don't come, go invite everybody else. Because somebody will recognize the goodness of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying you have to come in person every week. Online people, I love you. I, I'm so glad that you're there. But what I'm saying is there is a sense that, there, that Jesus is creating and planting this group of people that really have no business displaying the splendor of Jesus, and they get to be the display. And what I love about that word display is that it is something God is doing, not us, right? Like, uh, it's not like we're mannequins, right, where we're just like, hmm. But there is something about the idea that God is wrapping you, and, and the actual Hebrew word is like this beautiful headdress, that God is wrapping you up in his glory, and all we have to do is not conceal it. Right? Don't hide it. Don't bury it. You just be you before Jesus. Don't be ashamed of the beauty that Christ has given you. And man, I know in a city like Portland that it's easy to be ashamed of the gospel because it's not like at all cool to be a Christian. But if Jesus Christ looks down and says, man, you are beautiful. I have taken you and I have redeemed you. I've set you free. I have healed you up. I have comforted you. And now you are someone who I want to show off because you're starting to look like me. If Jesus sees the beauty and has given you that beauty, don't be ashamed of it. Just because someone else doesn't have an eye for it. And a lot of people may not have an eye for it. But Jesus has an eye for it. When I think of 
the way that this passage has worked out for us. And I was talking to Mark Strong at Life Change uh, just about the transition. And, you know, when he started, he, was, he started about six years before Imago started. And, you know, so we've been at it a couple years now. And post-pandemic Portland is not what we had in mind, like, 25 years into this thing. It was like, ta-da! And there's been a lot of days that I've struggled with, like, did, did anything happen? You know? When you look at how, how broken our city is right now. And one of the things the Lord continues to show me, and I hope he encourages you by, is that heaven will never look really good until you see how bad hell is, right? In other words, the healing that we want, we never pursue until things get bad enough. We don't confess sin until the pain is so bad from the sin. And it's very true, and it it very well may be the case, that the brokenness that we see in Portland actually is just pulling back the curtain on a facade of quote-unquote heaven on earth that never really existed in the first place. And that what Jesus is doing now is he's saying, if there was ever a time where this city was a city of people who needed to be lifted up, people who needed to be comforted, people who needed to be set free, then it's now, right? And Imago, I believe with all my heart that in the years to come, as the new leader comes in, it's not going to be about us leaders. It is ultimately you. You are this community. I have seen it. I have watched you change. I have watched you transform. I have watched you give generously. That There is a group of people in Portland right here that have no business being together, but you are together because of Jesus. It is not going to be about, and we need, we need to pray for the next leader, but the leaders are not the church. You're the church. The building is not the church. You're the church. The programs are not the church. You're the church. And and the greatest gift that, that I can give to you is to encourage you to just be who you are. Be who you are. Because Jesus is doing it and has done it And he is everything that you need. And I cannot wait to come back from sabbatical and to get in this pulpit and to also introduce you to our pastor. Because I need a pastor. I'm worn out. (laughs) As we come to this table this morning... I'm reminded, I think about how cyclical this, this, 
this passage is because there's a sense that you, it's not linear, right? Like, you're not like, oh, I was poor or poor of spirit and then I came out of it. I was brokenhearted, I no longer am. But it is, this is life, this is life, this is what you go through. And then this is Jesus who is showing up wherever you're at in those situations, in those seasons. Some days you feel like I am displaying the glory of God. And other days you wake up and feel like, man, my heart is so broken. And, and, and the, the point of this is that it's not that we were broken and now aren't broken. It's that we are always going to struggle with our own poverty and brokenhearted and our captivity. But we have a Jesus, a spirit-anointed king who shows up in our life at the opportune time to continue to set us free, to continue to heal, to continue to comfort. And what I, what I would invite us to today, I guess, is to come to this table and let the real you be before the real God. Right? The, the world does not need more fake Christians. And you don't need a fake relationship with God. So bring your brokenness. Bring your captivity, your, your places where you're bound and in prison. Bring your darkness because your king is ready to meet you here. And to to exchange this beautiful exchange where he takes your pain, your sin, and he exchanges it for his beauty. So come and bring the real you to the real Jesus who will meet you and give you that garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Mago Day, it has been the greatest privilege of my life to preach to you week in and week out. I love you. Let's pray. Thank you all. All right, all right. It, it wasn't a very good one. <laughs> Let's pray. God, thanks for taking a bunch of people like us, for meeting us in our own margins, and being all that you are to us. And God, I thank you that I... I truly believe that our best days are in front of us. And that in this moment that you would, God, would you mend our broken hearts? Would you comfort us in our mourning? Would you give us hope and anticipation for the new beginning that is about to start? And God, above all, I thank you for these brothers and sisters who have been and will continue to be our family. 
And so our family today wants to meet with you, Jesus, at your table that you prepared to eat the meal that unites us together of your body and your blood and the bread and the wine. Jesus, you've been more than good to us. May we not be ashamed to display the splendor of the places that you have changed us. And everybody said, amen.